Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians in chapter number 6. We're going to be in verse number 7, verse number 8, verse number 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near or around you. Perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you, there should be a copy of God's Word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy of God's Word and read along with us as we study uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, 8, and 9. So you're going to look for big number 6. That's what we call a chapter. And then you're going to look for the little number, which is little number 7. That's called a verse. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, 8, and 9. And uh, Lord willing, we have this message in Galatians 6 today, and then we have one more to finish out Galatians next week, and then we will have completed our way verse by verse through the entire book of Galatians, all right? And that means you don't have to come to church for the rest of the year. No, that's not. That's not what that means. Okay, it means that we move from there to another study. We'll spend a little bit of time in December uh, studying the Christmas story, Lord willing, and then we'll pick up a brand new study in uh, the month of January, a fun study that I think you'll enjoy and one that I know I have enjoyed thus far in preparing for you. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, 8, and 9. If you found your place, would you stand with me? out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. These will, uh, maybe to you, they they may seem uh, very familiar. I think you'll probably uh, pick up on a few of uh, the more famous parts of this chapter, verse 7, 8, and 9. Of course, we spent last week, verse number 6, what we do for those who have been overtaken in a fault. That was really verse number one, uh, down to verse number six, and how that uh, we are supposed to help them up, we're supposed to pick them up, then we're supposed to hold them up, and then we're supposed to build them up. This is what we do for people that we see in and throughout our lives who are struggling and making decisions. They're, uh, they're in patterns of their life that are detrimental to them, to their family, how that you and I, with God's Spirit in us, supposed to come alongside. We're supposed to pick them up, hold them up, and build them up. The Apostle Paul staying in that same exact line. Like, How now are we supposed to live? So verse number seven, be not deceived, and God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. How many of you know doing the right thing can sometimes be tiring, right? Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season... We shall reap if we faint not. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our hearts and lives this morning. And in your Son's name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul has in this chapter, or rather in this book, has been making a defense 
of what it means to be justified by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And what happened in Galatia, the, the book is called To the Galatians, that's because the, it's written to a group of believers who lived in that area of the world. And there were in the churches these teachers that were saying that in order for you to be saved, yes, you need faith in Christ, but you also need good works. That if you have faith in Christ and good works, then together these are the things that will earn you forgiveness of sin, a home in heaven with God for all of eternity, and that will uh, earn you salvation or a relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul, in this letter, has been really writing. He's arguing against that. He's saying it's, it's only through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. It's by faith alone, and grace alone, and Christ alone that we are saved. But what he's also now arguing is he says in chapter 5 of verse number 1, this is where everything from chapter 5 on has been directed. And he says this, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. So he's saying, yes, you're saved by faith alone, and grace alone, and Christ alone. You have a right standing with the judge of the universe because of your faith in Jesus Christ and only in that. So yes, that's true, but also, it is also true that you and I will answer to God for how we live our life. That's really the point that he's making. Everything from chapter 5 and on, he's, he's making this point. Yes, you're saved through Christ alone, but do not forget that you answer to God for how you live your life. And what he's going to use, is going to use one of the ways in which, uh, one of the things that God implemented for how we answer to God. It's called the law of the harvest. You see the image given in the end of verse number 7. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So he's, so he's using the image of a farmer, okay? So, so imagine you, you've got a garden, you're a farmer, you go out, you, you work up the ground, you put some seed in the ground, you cover it with good soil and dirt, you go out and you water it, and whatever seed you've put into the ground is the kind of fruit that is going to grow in your garden, right? That's what he's saying. And what he's saying is this is actually the way in which God has designed, his, he's built into the order of life. This is the way in which God has built into the order of life for how we answer to God for how we live. It's you reap what you sow. You, you harvest what you planted. The garden of your life is actually a result of the seed that you've been planting now into the soil, into your life, into your mind, into your relationships, into your friendships, into your job, all these things. The way you've planted this seed is actually, the garden you have of your life is actually a result of the things that you planted. And this, in this case, is a way in which we answer to God 
for the things that we've done and the things we did. So he's, he's three ideas. It's three verses and it's three ideas, okay? So you have an outline you can follow along with us. I, I want you to write some things down because I want you to remember them, okay? So number one, notice in verse number seven, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So, so here's big idea number one. Small seeds become big trees. Small seeds become big trees. You ever seen a very large tree? It's towering. There's branches going everywhere. It's far-reaching. The shade all over the ground underneath of it. How did this tree get there? Well, it didn't start off as a large tree, right? We know this. It started off as a very small seed that the seed fell into the ground. A little sapling, and it grew a little higher, took, endured some wind, and it got, got deeper roots, and went a little bit taller. Man, it weathered a few storms, uh, maybe a tornado, a hurricane or two, an earthquake. Then it, man, it just grew, and now you have this huge, tall tree, and you can look at this tree and go, wow, what an amazing, beautiful, large tree. But it didn't start off that way. Now, how did that tree start? That tree started off as a very small tree. Seed. Small seeds become big trees. Okay, so notice, how is this true? Notice verse number 7. I want you to look at it with me, verse number 7. Be not deceived. The word deceived means don't be led astray. Don't, don't be blinded. Don't be confused. Don't be misguided. Be not deceived. Don't stray away from what is true, from what is, from what is right, from what is virtuous. Be not deceived. Do not allow yourself to be led astray from what you know is true. And Paul, the Apostle Paul's been arguing this way the entire time in the book of Galatians. Oh, oh foolish Galatians, who, who is it that hath bewitched you? Remember that? Remember that line? Chapter 3. Who is it that came in and told you that this is, that salvation was through another means, another way? Why were you bewitched? Why were you deceived? Why were you tricked in this way? So the Apostle Paul is addressing an area that all of us have a tendency to, uh, to, uh, that we allow to happen in our lives. That is this, that we think we are right when we are actually wrong. Be, be deceived. Don't, don't think you're right when you're actually wrong. There's nothing more dangerous than thinking that you are right when you are really wrong. Nothing more harmful to your spiritual growth than to think that you know what is right and good and best when in fact what you're doing is wrong and harmful and dangerous to you. How it's happened for them. The Galatians were deceived by false teachers who came in. They were preaching another gospel, which Paul said was actually no gospel at all because it said that they needed faith in Christ, yes, but they also needed good works and that with faith in Christ and good works that you could then be saved. Oh, foolish Galatians, he says. And so don't, don't be deceived into something that is wrong or harmful. It's away from the truth. It's away from right. Don't be confused. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked into thinking that you know best on how your life should go. Because you and I don't. 
go, who does? God. God knows best on how our lives should go. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, he says something very similar to this, that, um, that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. And what will they be doing? They will deceive and they will be deceived. Deceiving and being deceived, he says. Go in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, so this is what's happening in Galatia. This is what's Paul says, will happen in the future. This is what was happening where Timothy was serving. This is true in our day and age. If you want to find somebody who will just tell you what you want to hear, you will find that person. You will find somebody who will justify or rationalize or validify for you whatever it is of an answer that you want. But be careful in being deceived into thinking that you are right when you are actually wrong. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's how we ended, actually. Be careful of the kind of people that you put in your life. Be careful of surrounding yourself with people who just tell you what they know you want to hear. And they don't tell you what they know is right or true. And yes, they should do this in a way that's loving and kind and gracious. That's absolutely true as well. But be careful in being deceived. This is a warning about the power of sin in our life. And this is the power of sin. A sin has a way in deceiving us, fooling us, bewitching us, tricking us, into thinking that our way is the right way, that I am right, when in fact, the way in which the Galatians have chosen is a way that's wrong. So it's a warning about the power of sin. Letter B, it's an affirmation about the nature of God. Notice verse 7, I want you to see it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. The, the word mocked means to, to turn your nose up at someone, right? To, to, to mock is the idea of hearing what someone said to you and then turning your nose up at them as if to say, you're nothing, you're insignificant, you're little, you're inconsequential, but I am someone important. That, that's literally what the word mocked means. Okay, so... Be not deceived. Don't, don't think you're right when you're in fact wrong. That's a dangerous place to live. And remember, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. It's very interesting. He says it this way. Don't let anyone pull the wool over your eyes. Be not deceived. And don't turn your nose up at God. And so in light of the study of Galatians then, how, how are the Galatians turning their nose up at God? How are they mocking him? Well, the answer of, of salvation is two ways. The answer of legalism. Thinking that they don't need Jesus. They don't need the cross. They don't need forgiveness of sins. They don't need Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. That they can get to God their own way. I don't, I don't need anybody helping me get to God. I'll do it on my own. I'll be good enough on my own. I'll be religious enough on my own. I'll be law-abiding enough on my own. That's turning your nose up at God. Okay, so for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, I hear what you did with Jesus, but I don't need that Jesus stuff. I'll make it to God on my own. That's mocking God. It's turning your nose up at God, thinking God to be insignificant, thinking yourself to be significant. 
The other way you can mock God, though, is what he's already been talking about in this passage. It's not just legalism, but it's also license. The other way you mock God is deciding that you think you are smarter than God. You think you know more than God. That you know better than God on how your life should go. And you know better than God on what kind of husband you should look for or what kind of wife you should look for. You know better than God on the way you should raise your children. You know better than God on what you should do with your money. You know better than God on what you should do with your entertainment or your weekends or your free time. You know better than God. I don't know. No better than God. God isn't working in my job. God isn't living in my neighborhood. God isn't, God isn't interacting with my family. If God had the family I had, he wouldn't say the things he said, right? And in this way, we mock God. We turn our nose up at God, saying, I know better than God on what I should do with my life. I know better than God on what I should do with my sexuality. I know better than God on what I should do with my decisions. I know better than God. And in this way, Paul is reminding us, be not deceived. Don't let someone pull the wool over your eyes, tell you what is right when it's actually wrong. And God is not mocked. Now, some people think that they will mock God, and Paul's making it very clear, you can't. Notice what he says. God is not mocked. Now, this will not happen. God may let you get by, but God will not let you get away. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, be sure your sin will find you out. So God may let you get by for a season or a time, but God will not let you get away. And God is not mocked in this way. So it's a warning about the power of sin. Be not deceived. It's an affirmation about the nature of God. God will not be mocked and it's a reminder about the facts of life. And here's how it ends. Look at verse number 7. For whatsoever a man soweth, and I want you to, if you, if you mark in your Bible, I want you to mark this word, that. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Whatever you sow, you will reap. It is not, it's not just true that reaping, like gaining, getting, harvesting, it's not just true that reaping follows sowing. What is, what is also true is that you, you reap what you sow. And so fruit grows after its own kind, right? You know, take an apple seed, go out into your backyard, plant an apple seed, cover it up, come out and water it, nurture it, let this little apple seed grow into a sprout, the sprout into a sapling, the sapling into a tree, come out one day and now you have an orange tree. Doesn't happen that way. If that tree is producing oranges, then it was not an apple seed that you put in the ground. It was an orange seed. If you plant an apple seed, what kind of fruit will you get? You will get apples. If you plant an orange seed, what kind of fruit will you get? You will get, the answer is oranges. What kind of fruit will you get? The answer is oranges. Okay. What the Apostle Paul is saying is there's, there's a direct correlation between the seed you plant and the fruit you get. Look at the verse again. 
For whatsoever a man soweth, that, what, what, you, what you sow, that is what you will get in your life. I think we understand that when it comes to the physical world, but sometimes we have a very difficult time recognizing that when it comes to the spiritual world. Listen to it in Job chapter 4. They that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. They that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. That you will reap what you have sown in your life. It's not just that you reap what you sow. You also reap more than you sow. Listen to it in Hosea. Hosea chapter 8, verse number 7. They have sown the wind. They reap the whirlwind. They've sown the wind. He's using it in an illustration. He's saying it was, just, it was just a little breeze. That's what, they, that's what they sowed. But now what they're reaping is they're reaping a whirlwind. You take a seed, an apple seed, and you put it in the ground and you cover it up, and it becomes a sprout, and then it becomes a sapling, and then it becomes a tree. And there's not just one apple hanging on the tree. There's a, I mean, there's a full of apples. So you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow. One of the greatest mistakes that I believe we as Christians make, or one of the greatest mistakes, is thinking that just wanting to be godly, wanting to be righteous, wanting to be spiritual is enough that makes us spiritual. If I just want to be that, then I will be that. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, no, it's not enough to just want to be godly. Well, if I just really want to be godly, but I go out in my life and I sow nothing but wickedness and sin and iniquity and worldliness and to the flesh, I sow all of this in my life, then one day I'll just wake up and I'll be able to click my heels twice and I'll be godly. Isn't that the way it works? It doesn't work that way. There are many people who make the false assumption that they think that they will just wake up and one day be. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is not the way it works in the physical life. This is not the way it works with your garden. And this is not the way it works with the garden of your heart. It doesn't work the same way either. That if you want godliness to be the fruit of your life, then you must plant godliness in your heart. And if you want patience to be the fruit of your life, then you must plant some patience in your heart. There are many people who are just looking for the, the, the silver bullet sermon that's just the one end all fix all to everything they've ever done and everything. And now all of a sudden, everything is better. That's not the way it goes. That we should, listen to me church, we should spend intentional, intentional time planting things in our hearts, in our marriages, in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our church, with our friendships. We should spend intentional time planting the kind of seed because that is the kind of fruit that we want to reap. Be not deceived. God will not be mocked. 
Whatever a man sows is what a man reaps. Number two, there's number two, verse eight. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So here's number two, a big idea number two. Present choices have eternal consequences. Present choices have eternal consequences. The emphasis of the verse is on our personal accountability to God. You and I are personally accountable to God for the choices that we have made and are making in our lives. We live in a society of victims. And people refuse to take any kind of personal responsibility. That the reason why something in their life is not going the way they want it to go is because someone else did something to them at one time. No matter, no matter how much you want to blame other people or events or factors in your life, hear me, you are reaping what you sown. That's what he's saying. You sow to the flesh, you reap the flesh. And if you sow to the Spirit, you reap the Spirit. This is, not, this is not to say that everyone in your life has done everything right. And this is not to trivialize any harm or wrong done in your life. It's simply to say you are accountable to God for your own life choices. That you and I answer to Him. It's called a personal relationship with God because it's just that it's personal it's between you and God not you and the pastor not you and that one person not you and that deacon not you and that choir member not you and the nursery worker not you and that deacon no, no it's between you and the Lord your personal relationship with God is between you and God so there's only really two kinds of seed that you can Sow in your life is what he's saying. There's actually only two kinds of seed you can sow. He's saying you have a, a bucket of seed. I got one for you. You have a bucket of seed. You knew I was going to have a bucket of seed for this one, right? You have a bucket of seed that you can sow in your life. And this bucket is what he calls, notice, verse number 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. We've already said this before, but the flesh is your sinful nature. It's wrong. It's sin. It's going against God's word, against God's commands for your life, whether you understand or not. What he's saying is you can reach your hand into the bucket of sin or, or into the bucket of flesh, and you can sow the flesh into your life. You just scatter it everywhere you go. You can just pick it up. And you can just scatter that wherever you would like to scatter it. This is dog food. And you can just take dog food and it smells like it. You can just take it and you can sow it in your life. And you go, well, look at all that wonderful, wonderful dog food I've scattered all in my life. Now I wonder what the result will be. I wonder if I have a bunch of friends come over and want to eat lunch with me because I got dog food scattered everywhere. And you just reach in and you're sowing to your flesh. It's handful after handful. Listen, sowing in the flesh, in your marriage, 
in your family, in your home, in your church, in your neighborhood, whatever it is. You're just sowing into the flesh. Guess what you will reap in your marriage? The flesh. Guess what you will reap in your home? The flesh. Guess what you'll reap in your friendships? Flesh. Like, I don't know why, Pastor, everything's going so wrong in my life. I mean, I've just been scattering dog food for the last 25 years. I don't know why everybody's so uptight about it. And now that's what I'm reaping. Because that's what I've been sowing. So he says, there's bucket number one. You can sow to the flesh. This hand really smells. So I will gladly shake your hand after church. Or you can sow to the Spirit. These are marshmallows. The flesh, clearly dog food. The Spirit, marshmallows. Oh, I would love to sow marshmallows. I think I touched my hands together. There's a little bit of dog food on that marshmallow. <laughs> Present choices have eternal consequences. And you sow out of the Spirit. Okay, so watch. It's not complicated. Hey, Pastor, how do I know if I'm sowing to the flesh? Or how do I know if I'm, serving, if I'm, if I'm sowing to the Spirit? How do I know the difference? Well, he tells you what the difference is. I need something to wipe my hands off with. Please, can I, can I have a napkin? Oh, wonderful. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, watch this. Look at verse number 17 of the previous chapter. Chapter 5, verse number 17. Look at, look at this. Not, not, chapter, not, not verse 17, I'm sorry. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Okay, how do I know... If I'm sowing to the flesh, and how do I know if I'm sowing to the spirit? Wait, the, the previous chapter told you what sowing to the flesh looked like. Sowing to the flesh looks like this. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. So looking how you want, when you want, where you want, with who you want, being your own God, calling your own shots. This is sowing to the flesh. And so here's what we say. So now you've been sowing to the flesh, being your own God, calling your own shots, going where you want, doing what you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want. That's the, the motto of our world. And now you wonder why this is what you're getting back in your life. Notice what sowing to the Spirit looks like. Look, look at verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Then he even goes farther down. Look at verse number, um, look at verse number 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the affections and the lusts of the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of, vain, of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And on and on he goes. He said, this is what we get when we live to the flesh. This is what it looks like when we live to the Spirit. So two ideas. The bucket of the flesh 
represents death. When we live according to our own passions, when we live according to our own tendencies, when we live according to our own inclinations, instead of crucifying them, when you, you cannot sow to the flesh every day and then expect to reap godliness. You cannot sow dog food and expect to reap marshmallows. doesn't work that way. So, the, really, the first part of this verse is actually an understanding of the wrath of God. Look, God, God does not have to strike you with a lightning bolt in order to punish you. This is the idea people have of God. I'm going to make God angry. He's going to get a lightning bolt out, and he's going to zap me if I tell a lie. No. No. In fact, God has established the law of the harvest. The, the way in which God punishes us, the way in which the wrath of God works out in our life is like this. Okay? I'll let you have your own way. But Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3. All three of those chapters talk about the wrath of God. You know what it looks like? God's saying, okay, fine. You, you want your own way? I'll let you have your own way. You want to call your own shots? You want, to, you want to be your own God? You want to use your own sexuality your own way? Fine, here, I'll, I'll let you have that. The wrath of God is simply God pulling back and saying, okay, I'll let the law of the harvest kick in. And he lets you have your own way. So that when you've sown into your marriage anger, yelling, fighting, guess what happens in your marriage now? That's what you reap. And when you've sown into your marriage love, joy, peace, long suffering, guess what happens? Now that's what you reap. When you've sown into your parenting, when you've sown into your job, when you've sown into your relationships, when you've sown into your friendships, this kind of way, guess what happens? God says, okay, you know better than how to treat your friends than what I'm telling you and pick them up and, and hold them up and build them. Yeah, but they did me wrong. Pick them up and hold them up and build them up. Yeah, but they hurt me, right? But you offended God 10,000 worth of gold. They offended you 10 cents. Which, which one was greater? Did not God pick you up? So can't you forgive someone who's hurt you? Yeah, 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 but I'm not going to do it. So fine, have your own way. Angry and bitter and lonely, surrounded by no friends at the end. God says, you, you want to sow that in your life? Go ahead and sow it into your life. and See what you'll end up with. The bucket of flesh represents death. The bucket of the Spirit represents life. This is actually the good news here. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This does not mean that you can earn eternal life or everlasting life. It's not what he's saying. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus or minus nothing. What he's saying is the evidence of this salvation, the evidence is this, your life has an eternal quality to it. There's an eternal nature to your life. Because what's done for Christ cannot be lost. Yeah, but, but that guy did some mean to me. And he said hateful stuff, and he misused, and he did things he shouldn't have done, and he took advantage. Right. 
But what was done for Christ cannot be lost. There's an eternal nature to it. That's what he's saying. So you can sow out of the bucket of dog food, or you can sow out of the bucket of marshmallows, but don't be surprised if you're sowing out of dog food that you end up with nothing but dogs. And if you sow out of marshmallows, you get nothing but, I guess, unicorns. I don't know what you actually get with marshmallows. But that did not taste like dog food. That was a much better taste. Number three. Verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Isn't that interesting? Isn't, isn't, that's, that's an amazing verse. Like, you would think that God knew what He was doing when He wrote the Bible. Yeah, but I'm just... I've been sowing marshmallows... And sowing marshmallows, and sowing marshmallows, and sowing marshmallows, and sowing marshmallows, and now my kid has grown out of my house. I tried to do the best I can. I raised him in church. I taught him Bible verses. We sang Patch the Pirate songs. I sowed marshmallows. The janitor crew is going to hate me. I sowed marshmallows. <laughs> and I'm just tired, Pastor. Sowing marshmallows. Big idea number three. The harvest does not happen in a hurry. So be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We have this capacity for getting tired of wonderful things. Vacationers get tired of sunsets. Millionaires get tired of money. Kids get tired of toys. How many of you bought your kid that, that must-have Christmas toy last year and now they don't even know where it is, right? They had to have it. Then they got it, and now what? Even good, godly people can sometimes grow tired of doing good and godly things. Some years ago on Monday Night Football, there was a game between the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants. One of the announcers observed that Walter Payton, the Bears Hall of Fame running back, had accumulated over nine miles in total career rushing yards. And the other commentator responded to this incredible statistic by Walter Payton by saying, yes, and that's with someone knocking him down every 4.6 yards. If you want to run a really long distance, get used to life knocking you down and then getting back up again. Even for good godly people. Let us not be weary in well-doing. 
In due season, we shall reap. Three ideas. There's a constant temptation that we must resist. We must resist the temptation to give up and give in. Some of you are here today because you're trying all over again. You walk to the back door going, I was this close to just quitting. I'm this close to just being done. But here I am, I'm going to try again. You know what you did today? You reap. Or you sow. You sow. You sow. Sometimes if the reward doesn't come as quickly as we think it should, and we give up. And sometimes we think if we're waiting longer than we have to, we can be tempted to give up. You may grow weary while doing good, but you must not grow weary of doing good. Look what he says. Let us not be weary in well-doing. You, you, can get, you can get weary while you're doing it, but you can't get weary of doing it. The constant temptation that we must resist. Number two, the core truth that we must believe. And what is that? It's this. For in due season. This is actually one of the key phrases in this entire verse. Or in ch chapter rather. In due season. Jesus said in John chapter 4, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. What was Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about a transition of seasons. Jesus is saying, there's, in life, there's these ebbs and flows. There's these ups and downs. There's these seasons where you're sowing and you're sowing and you're sowing. And which one are you sowing to? And there are these seasons where you're reaping and you're reaping and you're reaping. And what you reap in that season of life is actually a direct correlation to what, you, what you've been sowing all along the way. So it may seem unbearable, but remember, harvest is coming. It takes time to develop Christ-like character. It takes time to grow a healthy church. It takes time to build mature relationships. It takes time to raise responsible children. It takes time to establish a productive career. Our society is driven by this passion. I, I, I want it all, and I want it now. And Paul is saying that's not how it happens when it comes to our relationship with God. It takes time. In due season, notice, number three, the crucial test we face, we shall reap, notice this last clause, if we faint not. So, so if we don't go, oh, we're just so tired of just sowing it all the time. Just, you know what? This sowing stuff, I'll just let somebody else do it. I give up. I, I quit. All of us can be tempted at times to, to quit, to give in, to give up. We're seeing the result we thought we would by this point. And this is a great chapter, great set of verses to remind us you cannot Hurry the harvest. In your marriage, with your children, 
with your friendships, with your career. You cannot hurry the harvest. Do not give up yet. 